We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. It is about that time again. It's the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, this time after a 1-0 victory at St. James's Park. Now on paper, it doesn't sound too bad. It's three points away from home in a very competitive league these days. But I noticed after the match on Twitter and several places that a lot of Arsenal fans aren't very happy at the moment. And I think it's more to do with the fact that we haven't been very active in the window so far. But three points is three points is three points. And it's still three points. But yeah, obviously, our game going forward is not as it should be. We uh, had a lot of the ball and didn't really create very much with it. And that was a bit disappointing. When they had 11 men or 10 men, we didn't move the ball as well as we can. But what we have to bear in mind is that these are the same outfield players that played last season. That beat Aston Villa in the FA Cup final 4-0. That beat Liverpool at home 4-1. And that scored goals. We are very capable of playing a lot better than this going forward. And yeah, it's very difficult to watch at the moment, but we know there's more to come. So hopefully this is not a long-term problem. One positive I do take from this game, compared to, say, West Ham at home, for example, and even Liverpool first half, is that defensively as a unit, we looked a lot more solid. Um, Our whole back four played really well, and we defended from the front. Every time Newcastle got the ball, we pressed them and made them turn the ball over. Whether it was 11 men or 10 men, Yes, the red card made a big difference um, to the way the game panned out. Fair enough. But they went down early in the second half and they had to score a goal. And when they pushed forward, we played really well defensively. So, yes, we're not playing well at the moment. But if we can keep playing defensively well as a team, stop making mistakes like we did against West Ham, then our football will return. 
Let's not pull our hair out just yet. Yes, we need to score goals. Yes, Theo Walcott, for me, personally, isn't the centre-forward. I don't see it. I don't think I'll ever see it. Many people like Paul are going to disagree with that. That's fine. I think Oliver Giroud is a very good player. Uh, I don't think he's he will score enough goals for us on centre-forward. But it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. It's tough to find a to find a striker who can do what Giroud can do, hold the ball up, win balls in the air and fight centre-backs and bring people into play because that's a really important part of how we play and still be able to, to run in behind and score goals and quick and all that sort of stuff, score goals by himself. You know, it's, it's very difficult. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens in the market, but I don't know if a player like that is out there. I don't know what the, what, what the answer to that, that question is, to be honest. If there's no striker of that level available that we are able to get, do you buy a striker who's not as good just because he's another striker? I don't know. I don't know. But at the moment, I don't know if, if, if it's working. Perhaps that will change when the team gets a bit more confident and a, a bit more uh, self-assured in the, in, the, in the final third. We might start scoring bucket loads of goals. So, yeah, it wasn't the most convincing performance in the world. But it's three points. Three points on the same day that Chelsea dropped dropped all three points at home to Crystal Palace, a team that we beat 2-1 away from home, have you know. We beat Newcastle, a team that Man United couldn't beat at home. It's a competitive league. Oh, and don't forget West Ham beating Liverpool 3-0 as well at Anfield. Can you believe that? How can you lose at home to West Ham? Crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's a very competitive league. And it seems, as of, as of last season, only one team is finding some consistency at the moment. And unfortunately, both seasons, it hasn't been us from the start. But I don't know if Man City are going to be able to hold on to this sort of form for the whole season. It's unlikely. So let's let's not throw in the towel just yet. And let's not expect Arsenal to play this way the rest of the season. Because it won't be like that. You know it. I know it. Anyway, hand you over to the guys to talk about the game. And we'll be back after the next game, which I can't remember which it is off the top of my head. So... I'm going to just get it. Arsenal go to St. James Park and take home all three points. And in even better news, Arsenal confirmed they will not drop any points for the next two weeks. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, which presumably you've already done. Uh, Here, as always, are James and Paul. We're going to go over the Newcastle game, and we're going to give a little love to the window that nobody loves to see shut. Um, unless you're Arsenal, because it means you don't have to spend anything. Hooray! Um, first of all, let's say hello to James. You can find him on Twitter at GoonerFanatic49. Hello, James. Good evening. And a belated happy birthday. Well, thank you. it is, in fact, actually my birthday today. Well, all right. It's your birthday today, but if we release the pod tomorrow, people will think I'm saying it tomorrow. So happy belated birthday tomorrow, but today, happy birthday. Cool. Cool. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. Okay, enough of that. Stop milking it. And a huge hello to Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Poznan in my pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! Yep, it's a glorious, glorious day as Arsenal's uh, leading goal scorer, Owen Goal, uh, is on target again to get Arsenal the narrowest of 1-0 victories. We have had narrower 1-0 victories, but this was a narrow 1-0 victory because we only won by one goal. We got a lot to cover. We're going to talk about individual performances. We're going to talk about tactics. We're going to talk about criticism that's come up uh, with respect to this side and how Arsene Wenger has set up the side. And then we will finish with the transfer window. So I assure you, um, I have 20 to 25 minutes of crickets recorded, and I will put that at the end of the podcast. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. But 
Let's start with the changes. James, you weren't able to make it to the last podcast, something about having to do a dissertation, but Paul and I discussed the lineup. I thought for sure there would be wholesale changes and there were some changes uh, in in terms of our bet. Uh, Oxley Chamberlain did come back in the starting lineup and Ramsey was restored to central midfield. Ozil, quite surprisingly, dropped out with an injury, which I'm sure is a precursor to him being sold tomorrow. And then uh, Giroud lost his place to Theo Walcott. So uh, Chambers didn't have to play. Koscielny was fit, so we didn't have that worry there. He partnered with Gabriel. What were your thoughts on the changes he made heading into the match? Um, so there was four wholesale changes that were made. One was the reintroduction of Koscielny, um, which is obviously a delight to see him be able to uh, recover from his minor injury and allow Chambers a breather and not sort of force us to play that same back line. Um, that had struggled in the first half against Liverpool. Um, and, you know, I was very happy to see Gabriel and Cossioni alongside each other. There was just a lot of pace in that back four. Um, the way the midfield was uh, altered was mostly down to the unexpected minor injury to, to Mesut, which sort of forced this um, change of having Ramsey back in the middle and bringing Oxlade Chamberlain out to the right. Um, and so Santi was playing um, sort of just behind. Well, actually, well, I, I couldn't really tell whether Santi or Ramsey was playing sort of in the in the hole. I think there might have been a little interchanging, but um, maybe it was because all of it was actually playing deeper. Um, and then Theo coming in for um, for Giroud, so which was which was an interesting choice. I think it it definitely made sense at the beginning of the match away from home. I mean, Giroud's been um, been struggling. We've been searching for goals. As I'm sure we'll talk about a little later, um, the you know the way the game changed may not have suited Theo's um, attributes as well as it might have done had the game sort of actually stayed 11 v 11. But um, when I say sort of four changes, it was the change of sort of Santi as well, his positional change as well, rather than sort of four players. Um, although I, you know, sort of second thought, as I mentioned, I'm not 100% sure if that. Um, if if that was exactly how it played out, but I'm sure Paul or you have, if you've watched it a second time or paid a keener attention, you provide a better insight on that. Um, let me ask you this, James, in terms of using Theo, is it kind of unfortunate that he gets picked to start in a game? For, well, we'll get to the red card and how that impacted things in a moment, but in a game without Mesut Ozil, because really he's the player that's going to thrive on through balls and Mesut Ozil is really the player. I mean, cause Orla can do it. We can see, you know, we have a lot of players who are able to do it, but Ozil is really the one who spots those runs. And without Ozil, does that kind of neutralize some of the influence that, that Theo Walcott could have had? Definitely. I mean, I think, I think it impacts on, on everyone in the team, certainly, but I mean, Theo, um, Theo would have felt that the most, I mean, he's the, that's the combination you, I think when we first signed Mesut, that we we were all desperate to see, and it, they haven't really actually had that many games to be able to play together. And I think in theory, it's something that would make uh, you know, it, it sounds like it's something, it's a partnership that that could be very fruitful. Um, Mesut is able to keep the ball in in tight spaces in the final third, retain possession there, and and find those those gaps and and look for the runners. And if you know the thing, the aspect of Theo's game that is his strongest is his ability to to move defenses around and to and to find spaces to run into. So I think it was a I think it was a great shame for Theo. I think it was also a great shame for for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain and and Sanchez and everyone. 
Um, and the one issue, I think, when you looked at that front three, without Meza in the side and with Ramsey being a bit, you know, slightly more advanced, was how capable were we of actually retaining the ball in the final third? And I think that, you know, it showed in the game that we, we struggled a little more because because of the absence of Meza in that regard. Yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because we played a front three that really had pace and runners, but we didn't have the guy in the midfield who who plays those balls. And so it may have kind of neutralized that attacking strategy to some extent. Paul, let me ask you this. Ramsey getting restored to midfield, really where Ramsey thrives when he plays in midfield, he's probably the player who most benefits from Giroud playing. Um, similarly, with Theo playing without Ozil, and that may be impacting him, do you think that Ramsey with Theo up front is not as effective a pairing because Ramsey wants to run past the center forward who comes deeper and be the furthest forward player, the player making the run deepest in the box. And he's not able to do that with Theo as much. So do you think it was a little odd that, that Wenger picked Theo and Ramsey? Uh, well, he always picks Ramsey, but Ramsey back in the midfield in a game without Ozil and Giroud. Um, I think that's an interesting point. I don't know if I come down as black and white on it. I think what I saw, I mean, what was interesting was that Ramsey was our most attacking player. Um, That if you like, the probing balls still came from Cazorla from deeper. He was still the playmaker. So it was very interesting mid-three. But what you also saw in the three games up to this, Ramsey has, obviously he's starting on the right, but he basically played his most attacking football over on the left with Ozil again. So without Ozil on the field, uh, you saw a couple of things happen. Uh, Ramsey and Sanchez both shared the number 10 duties, so they spent a lot of time in the center. Um, And Ramsey worked the right and the center, and Sanchez worked the left and the center. But you often saw Sanchez coming into the number 10 spot. In fact, he had that long drive from the center of of uh, just in front of the, the box that uh, caused the ball to bobble up for for uh, Theo to run in on a little later on. I'm sure we'll get to all of that. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the dynamic I saw. I in a way, we only saw 15... Uh, 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 this will be a recurring theme for me, but we only saw 15 minutes of the game we were expecting to play. So we only had a limited exposure to how this game was really supposed to play out when we look at, you know, how does Theo and Ramsey work? I mean, they worked pretty good against Villa in the FA Cup final uh, because what I had been hoping to see and I kind of saw it this time around was Sanchez, Theo, Ramsey all able to interchange and flow and swap who's in the center and, you know, uh, who's the striker, who's the number 10. I think we actually saw quite a bit of that uh, in that first 15 minutes. It was a re- I did go back and watch it a second time. I was just as frustrated as everybody else first time through. It was a very unpleasant game to watch. But that first 15 minutes was a pretty good 15 minutes. And you know, Well, I, I, I agree. Got, I think the I got, problem is, yeah. as the game wore on, they seemed more and more and more comfortable keeping us at bay, funneling us narrow, you know, preventing us sure. from creating. And, and sure. it ultimately boils down to taking chances. So let's talk about that, James. Theo had two chances. Um, one was a bad miss. One, I think, was a good save. The interesting thing is both chances were chances Giroud wouldn't get. They required mm. lightning-quick reactions. Um, what did you make? 
Taking aside for a minute the fact that the red card certainly costs Theo some of his effectiveness, what did you make of Theo's performance? I mean, everybody's basically ruling him out as being able to play center forward. Um, what did you see from his performance in the game pre-red card and then following the red card? Um, my emotions are fairly mixed. Um, pre-red card, he did. He he had a very sort of classic Theo performance within within the 50-minute time frame, and that what you get from Theo is you get moments in the game where he just through his through his runs through um, his pace, etc. He does create chances, and there are certain things that do happen down uh, like solely down to the kind of player that he is and what he brings to the side, and I, he looked very promising. Um, and I do agree with you that. The first, the first shot he had was was a very good save, and I don't think he could necessarily have done that much better. Although the second one, I think, was a dreadful miss. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe one he would have put away with a consistent run of games. So, you know, maybe the, some of that comes down to a lack of consistency. Although I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if, you know, Giroud's pretty good at making that run to the front post. So I'm not sure if the first one Giroud wouldn't have got to. It, um, he was very, very quick to get there. I mean, and to to get there yeah. before the keeper. I thought both chances he had were chances that were born out of intelligent awareness, but also his his pace. And if I can pipe well, I mean, in, I specifically went back to look at that, and both of them were Theo putting on the jets. Not only would Giroud not have got into those positions, there's a lot of strikers who wouldn't have made, wouldn't have got into as good a position in the first place. Should did well, we get it backwards? I mean. Let me let me ask just real quick, Paul, and I'll come right back to you, James. I mean, Walcott got taken off at the time in the match where Newcastle down to ten men and down by a goal had to start to chase and come out a little. Was Theo a little unfortunate in that the period of the game where he maybe could have been most influential was the period of the game where we brought Giroud on? Yes, except I think that first fifteen minutes was pretty important. Um, and he, he made a lot of runs that nobody spotted, though. I, I really felt he missed yeah. Ozil's away, you know, vision and and through ball, general through balliness uh, in that first 15 minutes. Yeah, he did. But pretty much everything had a Theo run to it, even the ones where he didn't touch the ball. So we had maybe four or five good moves in the first 15 minutes. Um, we looked good. Um, uh, what I thought was particularly interesting was, and we'll probably get to this too, but they came to kick the shit out of us in that first 15 minutes. Yeah, well, I and definitely it, want to talk about that as well, yeah. And we kept playing proper football, and we did. And it was, a, you know, as a marker for us playing against a physical side, and we'll talk about this more, I really liked what we did in the first 15 minutes. Theo was a part of that. Uh, it's also one more game in which Theo was on the pitch in which we won. I know that was in the second half of it. That and not is relatively important in the scheme of things. It is, and you know, I don't know if I can how much credit I can give Theo for that, but geez, I mean, you know, I said it the other day, and somebody's like, well, you know, uh, there's all sorts of games, and you know, we've those are games where we've lots of space and blah blah blah. Well. Okay, I don't know how much he had to do with the particular goal, but fuck it, we won. He was on the pitch. Uh, you know, we'll talk. What I would like to talk a little later on, if you can mix it into your your uh, profile of just the parking the bus syndrome beyond Arsenal, because it's not just us who faces the it. City faced it yesterday, 
um, and they had 45 minutes in which they did absolutely nothing against a park bus. Barcelona played Malaga yesterday, 1-0. Thomas Vermalen, I didn't see the game, apparently smacked a volley off a corner on 76 minutes. Yeah, you know, I, I'll stop you just for one second, though. I mean, because the, the, the one thing that I tend to think is par- playing against an organized uh, 10-man-behind-the-ball strategy is always going to be difficult to break them down. But that's where individual brilliance and quick ball movement matters. And that's where having a Lionel Messi or a Kun Aguero or a Yaya Torre or... Or Thomas uh, Vermaelen. Well, Thomas, right. But I, I think we can both agree that we're not in Barcelona's class and that they do have match winners all over the pitch. I mean, between Suarez they and Messi. They do. My point would be... Here's my, Everybody I struggles agree, against agree. an organized, compact... Yes, and I agree with your point. You, you need that moment of brilliance or luck. The other thing you need... Um, or the other thing one must accept is you're probably, even if you have that moment of brilliance, you're not going to look very good and you're not going to feel very good about the game. Hey, presto, we didn't look very good. We didn't feel very good about the game. And it's dangerous to draw broad conclusions beyond those that, you know, we've had a four-game sample size here. I think the conclusions come down to not taking our chances. Let's talk about this, James. We, we got an own goal and it won the game and that's great and the three points are what matter. But right now, Arsenal have the most XG in the entire Premier League. Based on expected goals, we should have scored the most goals in the league. We have the lowest conversion rate of any team in the Premier League. We have one goal scored by an Arsenal player through four. Um, to, to you, is this just one of those we'll regress to the mean and, and when that happens, we're going to be tough to beat? Or is it indicative of the fact that we don't have match winners up front, not enough of them. I mean, if you think about it, other than Alexis Sanchez, our forward options include Oxalade Chamberlain, Olivier Giroud, Danny Welbeck, Theo Walcott, I'm not going to include Aaron Ramsey, and Joel Campbell. And none of those players I named would start for City or Chelsea. None of them would probably even get into the City or Chelsea team, let alone the other big teams in Europe like Bayern, Barca, Madrid, Juve, you name it. So the fact that we have so underperformed our expected goals, a sign of a lack of quality up front or simply an aberration that will regress to the mean? Um, I tend to stand on the side of things that I think we will begin to regress more to the mean, but I don't think that totally sort of coats over the fact that there are certain issues in the way that we are converting our chances. And, I, you know, that that has been something we've talked a decent amount about, especially towards the end of last season. Um, but I still, you know, you, you talk about those players, and I, you know, I, I think we're a little quick to forget that Giroud still tends to pretty consistently get you about 15 goals in a season. But um, he's there, it. There, I mean, uh, he's really the striker at Arsenal, and I don't think anyone thinks you can win. I mean, I do appreciate what you're saying, and I... I do agree with you that this team ideally needs a top-level striker, a striker that is in the top five or top ten, probably top five bracket, ideally. That's what this team needs. But Giroud, is, like, he's, not, he's not as far away as we are making out at this moment in time. We talked about last season how one of the things he needed to improve in his game was, was coming up in big moments against, against big sides and and delivering the goods. And I, I think that was something he had definitely improved upon. He'd scored against City, he'd scored against United. Um, and, but he's not, 
he's not a completely lethal striker. He seems to go in patches. There will, there will be times during the season where he will, he will, in my eyes, have several good games where he has a lot of nice finishes. He start, he will go on a little run. People say, you know, he scored a very good goal against Crystal Palace. That only actual goal this season was a very, very good finish um, away to Palace. And some would say it's the I only think... finish he can do. <laughs> Maybe, um, but he love he does love the outside of the boot, boot um, you know, in in front of the front post. The stab, the the, the, the yeah, the near post stab. Can, can I just tell, um, give you a stat real quick? Also, Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. You know, so he's not he's not a totally limited striker, and I do think because of this sample size of four games where we have struggled as as a team, I think some of it comes down to may I don't know if it, it, to me it seems a little like there's something mental to it. I can't put my finger on it. I think it might be maybe their confidence got a little you know they became got a little flustered after that West Ham defeat, um, which was an aberration as I, I've said so many times, um, and there's a little bit of nervousness. I, I we know with with finishing, we've seen it. You know, Aaron Ramsey's a great example. Like sometimes when you just get that confidence, the goals start coming, and I'm very confident that that will happen in the near future. I don't know if it's going to happen the next game. I don't know if it's going to happen the game after that. But in football, teams tend to go on runs, players tend to go on runs, and we're actually very no like under Arsenal. That has always been the case, even during like the scrap for four. So we 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 have gone on several runs, and I think. The hope was the season, given the run that we had had from January to the FA Cup final, was that we could maybe actually have a run for the entire, like for the majority of like an entire season, which we are yet to do for for many a year. Um, and I just, I am, I am worried with the, the finishing thus far. But I think those stats are promising. You you know the xGs, the, you, we've created a lot of chances. I don't think that stat actually demonstrates just how good those chances were. But clearly our conversion rate is low, and I think. You know, if if we're ten fifty, if we're fifteen games into the season, you give me that stat, I would be very worried. I just think there's plenty of room for improvement with players that have shown that they have the ability to do it. And I don't think it just over the course of the summer, a Ramsey suddenly, you know, like you know, he he's still he's still a player that has that ability to to play like he did in thirteen fourteen. He showed moments in it of it last season, not as much as we would have liked. Giroud ha- has it in him. You you know you you don't really know what you're going to get from Zero on a given day, but he has it in him to be a very good striker. Like sometimes you watch him, you think actually you know he's he's a very talented player. Um, and maybe it comes down to maybe it just comes down to a run of a run of wins and and the confidence in the side. And I think that's why a lot of people are understating the importance of this victory because to me we went into that game going away at St James's Park, which you saw from the atmosphere, especially after that red card. It's a difficult place to go to. And it, or it can be a difficult place to go to, and you know we got a very important win. The only thing that mattered after a slightly rocky start to the season was the three points. I don't think we could have necessarily expected a swashbuckling performance. And frankly, I with with regards to your point about Theo coming off, I think that was a great I think that was a great decision because as much as Giroud didn't play great and his holdup wasn't even that fantastic, I thought it was the worst I've ever seen him play. Maybe I mean, but even even that being said, we had an outlet, and we didn't concede a. If we watch that game, we didn't have a single chance conceded in that entire match. We could have played that game for nine hundred minutes, and I don't think we would have. Well, Newcastle had a zero point zero two xg in that game. Yeah, they they I mean, weren't scoring. Let's, but let's not understate the fact shot. that we yeah. we controlled that game so incredibly that we were never. We were never going to lose that game from the moment they got a player sent off. Ne- like we were never under threat of them going, unless Tolvan became messy and beat six players and scored. 
they would never score. I know. We have said on this podcast, James, that none of us, none of the three of us are particularly concerned about the way we defend this season. All of us are concerned about whether we have enough goals in the side to win a title. The title winning team almost always leads the league in goals scored. And I don't see how we get there. 7 a.m. kickoff has written some things on Giroud at length and statistically and analyzing him. And one of the areas he's very, very poor is big chance conversion. Big chances are the ones you have to put away when your team has set you up and it's right there and it's easier to score than miss. And big chance conversions are often over 50%, over 60%, so on and so forth. His big chance conversion historically at Arsenal is below 35%. This season it is 0%. Um, And that's where I think, you know, he's problematic. He is not clinical, especially when he has a big chance. Um, But, but Paul, I mean, your take on it, when it comes to the the whole XG thing and, and the chances that we have and the fact that we're not scoring the goals, are you of the opinion that this is going to regress to the mean? I mean, I thought Oxley Chamberlain was pretty poor yesterday. Obviously, both Theo and Giroud missed chances. Alexis Sanchez, I actually thought, was one of the brightest players on the pitch in terms of build-up play, but he had a big chance that he missed. What's your take on our inability to convert chances into goals? Not only do I think it will, it has to. Statistically, it has to start regressing towards the mean. We are so far off, it just has to. You would so, think so, but again, there, there is a variable there. This isn't pure statistics because those chances have to be converted by players. For example, if I played striker for Arsenal and every chance fell to me, we would have zero goals all season. So yes, I, you know, it's not a pure statistical analysis. For Arsenal, they'd pull you off after two minutes and put yeah, Sanchez in your place. I'm so a very we have nice options. guy. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, true, but you be helping Vic Akers out in the dressing rooms. Vic and the Akers. You're okay. a nice guy. So, so so you think we, it's, we it's going to regress and, and that we're, yeah. we're going to start converting. And here's my other issue with this, we've only scored one goal shit. No, we haven't. Yes, we have. There, there are really jammy own goals, and then there are good own goals. What Ox did yesterday, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He hit a, he hit a low, hard drive towards the far post. And he got a, defle- a small deflection in. I, d- I don't see what the issue is. I've seen worse proper goals all weekend from other teams. He did exactly what he should do. Um, here, uh, what Sanchez's header? Yeah, no, I mean, they're I'm both really, they're both ex- examples of good play leading to us scoring a goal. I, I don't and, disagree and with the So uh, I know statistically, blah blah blah. I don't give a shit personally. Um, one of the other things that. That a high XG and loads and loads of shots gives you own goals or yeah, jammy. No, that, goals. That's a great point. Who, who cares? Yeah, more, so, more fluke things that can happen that lead to the ball going in the net. Let, yeah, so I've zero issues. So that's a minor point. We, we haven't scored one goal as far as I'm concerned. We, you know, we, we got our three or whatever it is. Good luck to us. We should have had a penalty yesterday. You know, the pieces of play involved in all these things. Um, for the penalty, for the build-up to a couple of Theo's chances, the actual build-up, that whole XG stuff, the build-up to those opportunities, we're doing all of that piece of it. There's, you know, we've we've now discounted Theo temporarily in our where will goals come from. If if Theo keeps getting played, um, and when you listen to the comments from the boss on Theo, he basically says. He started really brightly as we did for the first 15 minutes, and then unfortunately the game wasn't meant for him. So I'm still hopeful that if this is all we got going forward, 
that Theo get a, a decent number of games and the right kinds of games. It was also really interesting hearing Theo talk because I keep hearing this shit about oh well Theo just wants to play through the middle. No, he doesn't. He's been I've I've heard him interviewed again and again. He just wants to play. You play right, left, and center. He said it yesterday. I don't care where I play. I just want to play this year. But interestingly, he 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 doesn't yeah. seem an option on the right wing anymore. It's either a start at center forward or he's not playing. Um, Granted. So I, I mean, look, the That's one thing that I think well. has really impacted us this season, too, is last season we were exceptional when going in front. When we took the lead in games, we didn't lose. When we fell behind in games, we didn't win. And there are two examples this season against Liverpool where Ramsey had a good goal chalked off that should have won us the game. And against Newcastle where we had a stonewall penalty that we didn't get that would have changed the game. Um, you know, and if we get that penalty and convert it and Newcastle has to come out and play earlier, we have, you know, when, when was the penalty shout in the 20th minute sometime around then? No, no, no. It was like uh, 12 minutes. Oh, tw- right, 12 minutes any better. Then you have 78 minutes of the game left to play with Newcastle having to come out at you a little more. As it is, they they killed the rhythm of the game with persistent, crazy fouling. You can't even just call it rotational fouling. It was like rotational hatchet jobbing. Um, and they, they just killed the game's momentum and flow. And so I have some sympathy for that. I think the worrying thing is not necessarily the goal or, you know, that it was no goal. It's just that we're not converting our chances. And the question is, do we have someone who will be clinical enough and 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 give that spark of genius up front. I, I want to ask you, James, because obviously he's a player that that we all rate, but that you rate particularly highly, and we we have a a bet on his contribution this season. What did you make of the Ox's performance? I know it was his shot that led to the own goal, and that was some good play. Overall, did you think maybe he was a he, he still looks like he's not certain of what he's supposed to be doing out there? Is that wrong? I I don't think it entirely is. I was actually. I mean, I was quite disappointed with his performance, to be honest with you. As was um, I. And, and I th- you know, that's even despite the fact that he actually scored the winning goal on the day for us. Um, but I thought, you know, he he's clearly got a lot about him. He's got a lot of talent, and I, I do stand by the fact that I think we will see more of that shine through when the actual team as a whole, whether it's this confidence thing, whatever it is, I just... In my eyes, I see these players, and I, you know, I, we should still be playing better than we are, and I think we will be playing better than we are, um, despite the sort of small sample size of four games thus far. Um, and I think in that kind of system, I think he, 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 he's the type of player that needs and breathes off confidence and um, you know, a lot going on around him. And he tries to make a lot happen, and he, he tends to get involved in, in sort of actions that are fairly high risk that he's. Maybe he's going to fail more often than than he succeeds, but he's he's trying to make things happen. But I I thought his I didn't think his I, I don't think his touch has ever his first touch has ever been phenomenal. I think his first touch can be pretty heavy. I thought it was was particularly heavy on the day. I, you know he, he he like I said he does have the ability to lose the ball, but I think he was he was he seemed to be losing the ball a lot to me. Um, there seemed to be a sense of desperation in the way in which he was trying to make things happen from where I. Where I stood, and I think a lot of about that game, especially when you're playing against the um, that ten men, it's it's a combination of of having someone like him who can take on a couple of players and and cause a little distress in the back line, you know, pull someone out of position, make you know, create those spaces for someone someone like Walker, just because he, he comes at you at pace and he, he's willing to drive at you, and 
I don't think he was as successful as he as, as he normally can be in those situations. And I also think in that type of game, you want to have players that can also keep the ball in the final third. And I don't think that's um, one of the best qualities of his game. But I, you know, I, I I didn't think he was great, and I but I do you know I I do just because I you see the talent there, um, and he he seems to be a bit of a frustrating player at the moment. And maybe some of these things are you know tied down to like I said the overall team's current state of mind and and confidence and maybe part of it's also consistency is in and out of the team we talk about finishing I do think it is a decent point or a very good point from Paul about I think we're actually understating a little bit Theo's um, quality of the finish I think when he's when he's gone through a run of games and he's he's got a, a little bit going behind him I think he probably is the best finisher in the side um, and I think we'll probably start to see that where people have the issue with him I do certainly at times especially after we went one nil up is he doesn't. His holder play just is. It's not very good. He's not. He's not someone we can target. I don't know who check. When we when we were booting the ball to Sanchez, he's got a great leap, but he's five foot seven. I mean, there there was no real output out out player time. So you know, in one sense, he can create a lot of chances. He can create a lot of problems. But he, he can also create problems for us. Um, and obviously that's what we've talked about in the past. I you know, and a, a, a better version of Danny Welbeck is you know really could suit the team, but. Um, you know, I, I do, I do foresee him contributing a lot of goals, and I think he will get a lot of games unless, you know, unless something magical happens uh, tomorrow or before the deadline on Tuesday, and, and someone comes in. Well, let me ask you this: Chris Martin actually wants to ask you this. Chris Martin on Twitter, Chris Martin one thousand is his uh, Twitter handle. In your opinion, if Giroud starts and it's not Ramsey, he wants to know whether Ox or Theo should start on the right if we start with Giroud. Um, I would actually, at this moment in time, I would like to see Theo, and the reason being is that I, I, I keep saying because you're trying I, to curry favor with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> the reason being is I just find Alex a little too raw right now. He's he's very talented, but he he just he does tend to frustrate me in this moment in time. I just. It, I, I don't know if there's any sort of like logic to this, or if there's any real basis behind it. To me, he just—he was a player that was very unfortunate to have missed out, to have been injured during a period when we were extremely, um, when we were playing extremely well last season. Because I think he just needs to be in a team that is where everyone is performing at a higher level than they are now, and that's when we can start for him to really become the game changer that he can be. He just he, like the team. He needs to have been around a team that is playing very well, and, and that he can really grow from that confidence and really start to believe in the fact that he can do it. Um, whereas Theo, I just think he's always going to come in and out of games, but I think you always know what you're going to get from Theo. He's he, he's likely to always create a few chances. That there's things that are, you know are going to happen. Right now, I just I don't know what we're going to get out of Alex. I, he has the ability to you know lose the ball in our own half. He also has the ability to, to take on three players and like swing a really dangerous fast-paced ball across the, the face of the goal, and you know he has the ability to to score like um you know well kind of score the goal that, against Newcastle, but it's just a little too especially given the current way we're playing. To me, it's just it, it's almost a gamble playing Alex. Whereas I, I, I he's a gamble as well with Theo, but I think you you have a pretty you're, you're a little more certain as to what you're going to get from him, and I I think he. In particular, will benefit would benefit from a run of games, Theo. And actually, I think the, the, him and Giroud could combine very nicely. 
It is tough because, I mean, Theo can go through a game and have, you know, seven touches and two passes, but he, he seems to wind up in spaces that are dangerous, whereas Oxley Chamberlain can impose himself on a game but seems to do as many things that can hurt the team as help it. So it, it is a tough call. Um, at the other end of the pitch, I think Gabrielle and Koscielny look really nice together as a pairing. Um, there wasn't a lot to do, but I thought what they did have to do, they did well, and they looked assured. Um, Paul H.C. Fogtman, Fogtman, at H.C. Fogtman, with an extra N, asks, Gabriel or Murtisacker? Oh, Murtisacker. No second thought there? No second thought. What's your What's your reasoning? Is it purely relationship-based, the experience and the, the understanding that he has with Koscielny, or is it is it style? Um, well, it's distribution from the back. That is crucial. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we didn't need too much of it. Um, I'll t- so I'll come back to that. But it, it, it spark- what I did see yesterday, and it sparked the goal, was we saw three or four times Koscielny stepping up while the ball was being knocked around in the semicircle, I think we all saw it, where he like he was like, oh, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And he just attacked that semicircle with a ball or a run. And all three, it was it was really something to see because everybody else had got into this moving at one side and the other and t'other. And he's like, fuck it, I'm going down the middle uh, with the pass or whatever, just as a a provoking action, and you see what a centre-back who can spot a pass can do. Um, okay, that's a that's another extreme. That's when we're in the attacking box. Mm-hmm. But the number of times Per has been the distributor for a really cool goal to get a move going, um, I don't think he gives that up easily. Um, you know, I love Gabriel. I think he's got a great future. We know the partnership that Koscielny and Mertesacker have in different kinds of games. Um, they bring different things, but I really think uh, Per's distribution is essential. Especially, he, he he also brings a level of stability and and maturity in a corner that sometimes can have Bellerin to one side, uh, Cockland in front of him, and Oxlade Chamberlain up the wing. Now, could be different players on a different de- day, but we could have really done with Per against Liverpool. Uh, not just because he would have been on there instead of Chambers, but uh, he just brings maturity to a corner that can be a little too youthful at times. So um, love G- Gabrielle, but Per is still a man for me. And then you got all the other intangibles, leadership, relationship with Czech as they kind of manage the dressing room, blah, blah, blah. But uh, if you're purely on football terms, I think it would be pretty close, but I'd still, believe it or not, give it to Per. Yeah. I, I look, I, I can't disagree there. I, I actually thought Gabriel was was really solid against Newcastle, yeah. but ultimately, for positioning, for line breaking, passing, for the leadership, the experience, the communication with Koscielny, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, James, how about you? Is it is it Gabriel or Murtisacker for you? Well, just very briefly, because I, I I pretty much concur with most of what was said, um, and I like I, I you know. Would like to see Mertesacker as the first choice pairing for his leadership and um, and you know his clear qualities. But I really do rate Gabriel. And I actually thought I was actually surprised by how confident I felt in his passing abilities from the back in that game. I I vividly remember one raking wide long pass that he played out to Sanchez or you know one of the wide forwards. Yeah, that was and, spectacular. I remember that pass. Yeah. 
and he, you know, he he looks, you know, he looks a player on the ball too. So I actually think his his passing looks pretty excellent. I think he's got an absolutely excellent all-round game actually. But I, I think you know, Mertesacker and Costiani just have that great partnership. But I can definitely foresee Costiani and Gabriel working together as a centre. I mean, the pace between the two of them, and the I just I think Gabriel has everything. And I I've said several times on the podcast, whenever you listen to Arsenal speak about Gabriel. And he's always, you know, he's always optimistic about his players. He's, always, you know, he always speaks about them in positive terms. But you, you can tell with Arsenal when he's when he's pushing a player and when he, you know, he he says it in very different ways. But with Gabriel, he is effervescent with the way in which he talks about him. Um, yeah, and I, and I, 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 he, he's not he's not like that about any player. And I, I really think he he sees a lot in Gabriel. And I think maybe on the discussion of transfer, I think it's a good example of. He had to wait until January probably to get Gabriel last year, and we needed a centre back. But for the long-term benefits of the club, assuming he does pan out, assuming the signs are you know actually bear fruit, I think, you know there, there there is a sometimes a reasoning to the madness that just that sometimes it it takes waiting until as frustrating as it is to find that top quality player because that's now the kind of player that Arsenal is looking for. But and I sometimes you start Yaya Sanogo against Bayern Munich in the Champions League, so it swings and roundabouts. Um, you know, right? That was, that was that was one of his better chaos yeah, games. Can't get off the Ajax bench on loan, by the way, and they're on record saying he's got no qualities. Um, only one of the Nutty brothers said that. The other true. one said he quite liked him. Oh, yeah. They should we'll, get we'll, together. We'll Moving on. Wins. Yeah, we'll come back to transfers, I'm sure. We have we have we have enough depressing strikers at our at our club <laughs> to not have to get into the ones we have loaned out that are depressing too. I had this written down as a different question, but I'm going to ask it um, from McSteiny Barend underscore Stein S T E Y N at Twitter. Does our style of play slow build up make our pacey players less potent? I, I like the alliteration there, so that's why I read it out. But, I mean, it is a good question. I thought there was a lot of two-touch, three-touch, four-touch and pass it, uh, lateral p- possession in the final third. What um, what do you think about that, Paul? Is is, is our build-up play just too ponderous to take advantage of our pacey players right now? Well, hi, Steiny. Um, so I, I don't think so. I mean – I'll go back to my, if you're facing a park bus, you're not going to look very good. Uh, if you take the first 15 minutes, there was nothing slow about our build-up play. You look at, um, you know, for all the criticism that's heaped on Coquelin, that was a delicious diagonal out to our mate Ox, who was apparently having a bad game, which I agree with. But he had a few really good moments, and that was one of them, where he did that first-time volley to Bellerin to put him in for the penalty. Mm-hmm. Um we, we didn't have, play a lot of one-touch possession, one-touch build-up passing. You, you, you know, use an English sentence and explain what I'm saying. Yeah. So in the first 15 minutes, had that been 90 minutes of a game, if we if we'd extrapolated that, I don't think we could criticize the build-up. The, the, I just re-listened to the the match, and the commentator was bur- purring about our movement and passing and blah blah blah. And then, unfortunately, they got a red card because that 11 versus 11, we kept that going. I think we'd all be purring today, potentially, about the performance. Instead, we're kind of back to the same old Arsenal, but it's really same old uh, park bus problems. So uh, I'm sure Stani is talking about other games and other situations as well as yesterday. Maybe uh, he maybe know. is, but I, I have to disagree. I, I do think that we got into that very 
lugubrious, lethargic, comfortable, lateral passing. Two touch, uh, three touch. Give it to the guy to, to, your, to your left or to your right. I don't think we use the flanks uh, very did, effectively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did comment on, you know, that's what was so uh, standout about Kishelny saying, fuck this for a game of soldiers. And blasting the ball up, I think it was to Kazorlu who got off a quick shot and then it bounced out to Ramsey who blasted it at the keeper and it bounced out to Ox. Well, that was like the probably the third or four times Kishelny kind of said enough of this shit. So it was absolutely true of yesterday, but I think it's the park bus problem. Well, uh, and look, the tactical City were horrible in the first against Watford. They were horrible. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that also. Nothing. They chopped us down so many times in the first half that we couldn't we couldn't really string a couple passes together. Anytime it looked like we beat a man and had some some space to move into, they just took us out. So yeah. it was a really challenging game from that standpoint. I, th- I thought the referee got it right with the red card. He got it wrong with the penalty. He could have sent more players off. Um, I want to move past this game because there are two other things I want to get to really quickly. Um, but before we do that, one of the other things that I think is – Interesting is Aaron Ramsey, and he's a player that everybody rates, everybody loves. I'll read out a question from uh, a listener, and then I kind of want to mold it a little bit. Um, And the question is read like this. Look how I stalled for time there. That's called stretching. Gary Gallagher at Ask In Too Few, or Ask In Too Few, asks, is the much-heralded British core destined to frustrate? And and I want to focus on Ramsey for a minute, uh, James. If Aaron Ramsey hadn't had that half season where everything he touched with his head or his foot went in the back of the net, would we see him as a lot more expendable than we do? Right now, he seems to be the first name on the team sheet. The manager never drops him. Is he earning that place right now? Um, and, and, and what do you make of the British Corps? Um... In response to whether he's expendable, no. I don't mean expendable like sell him. I mean like like. No, I don't, sorry. Based on his performances, like is he expendable to move to the bench? I, yeah. I, I I appreciate that, but I don't. I mean, I don't really agree. I mean, I don't disagree that his performances haven't been great. Um, that being said, I don't think the system we've set up with him involved is best suited to him. Um, I don't think it brings out the best in him, and I don't think. The way we've played as a team has brought out the best in anyone, frankly. But you know, the top top players, that should be irrelevant. They should be able to grab the game, the, the game by the scruff of the neck, and be able to, um, you know, spur the spur the side on. So it's not, you know, it's not a totally legitimate excuse as to why he's not playing as well as he should be. That being said, I think there are still very good qualities to his game. I think he still he still does so much for the team. I mean, there's a reason why he never comes off. Like he, he, Arson has an incredible amount of faith in him because he knows what he's capable of, um, and it wasn't just that the, you know that um, that half season where he was you know we're not just talking like a sort of a hurricane one the sort of season where he was, he was absolutely incredible he was the player of the season arguably um, during that period of time and we saw moments I mean we saw that, that Galatasaray goal in a you know pretty um, Admittedly, that we were a pretty low-pressure game at the time, but he has it in him, and he's even he he was responsible for scoring an important goal against Liverpool that should you know should have been allowed. And I think you know if if, if he'd actually got on the score sheet there, we'd probably be talking a little bit more warmly about his performances. Um, I just you know, he has he has everything in his game. He 
he can spot passes. His, his passing is pretty strong. It's not quite Cazorla, um, which is why we, we, we haven't really been seeing him play along, uh, alongside Coquelin. Um, he's, you know, he is a great, he has, we will see moments in the season where he is a great finisher. He, he has the capabilities of being a fantastic finisher. He's causing, he, he's make, he makes runs, he, he tracks back excellently from the first minute to the last minute. He is giving it his, um, his all, he is, you know, he, his stamina is absolutely incredible. And I think it was, was it his shot that, um, that was parried, uh, was it, yeah. um, for the, for the Oxlade Chamber goal. So he, he he does make things happen. Even when he's not having a good game, I don't think he has yet had a good game. He still has an impact on the game, and he is so beneficial to the team because he, he, he a is such a great team player, and b he just has, he has the capability of being a superb, superb player. Especially if we can find a DM that, that will really bring the best out of him. As just quickly on the British call, um, yeah, I think there are elements of the British call that are frustrating. I think Theo is is inherently a frustrating player to watch at times. But again, I think you know I, I, he he still is a talented player that c- creates a lot of issues for sides, and he will score goals. Um, so I think we'll probably be speaking of him in in warmer terms within a within a month or two. Um, of that, I'm fairly confident. I think Alex was still we still talk a lot about potential. Um, but he's clearly very talented. We, we have to we have to wait and see how far he goes with that. Jack, well, you know, again, clearly a very talented player, but he's got to prove it. I mean, he's got to prove he can stay fit he first of all. Stay fit, of course, yeah. And you know, I gives I like gives a left back. I think he's a very I think he's a good he's a very good second choice left back. And um, you know, he, he also brings on the option of you know bring on all the full backs because he you know, he can play as sort of a defensive winger. But you know, Nacho Monreal has, has been excellent, and he's a very good squad player to have. I have I have a lot of confidence in him. Once he gets a few games, I think you know, if Nacho gets injured, you might see the first game or two of Gibbs. He might be a little rusty. I think that's that, that's fair enough. We we tend to see that the players are out for a while. But he's a very good player. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the core of that British, you know, the the main players is, is Ramsey's obviously number one. I think Arsenal would probably argue. Jacks is his number two man if he could stay fit. I think he sees a lot in Jack. Um, I just don't know if we will ever actually get to see it. And mm-hmm. Alex, you know, I, I like Alex a lot, but he's he's got to prove it. I don't think he's I don't think he's come close to proving it yet. But I I, I do have belief that there is there is something special there. It's just whether he he brings it out. Yeah, it's just interesting because I think rewind two or three years, and I think we would have expected a lot of the British core to make up the core of of the starting 11 and and you could make an argument that only Ramsey is really a guaranteed starter and right now he's clinging to that by his fingernails claiming a right wing position that doesn't really work for him uh Paul real quick thoughts on Ramsey and and if you want to expand out to the British core but I'm I'm sort of specifically interested in the Ramsey thing because he is a player that is apparently undroppable and I just I don't know that he's yeah. delivering the level of performance that warrants that undroppability. So two quick points. The British core, super quick. The thing I really like is the fact that the best player plays. I, I love the romance of the British core. I love the idea that the best player plays. That Monreal, I, I didn't believe Monreal would be our starter going back two years ago. I thought he was crazy to come, but it just shows you put in the performances, you hold the position, it's yours. So I, for me, the romance is 
the best player plays. Uh, what's important is that the core is part of the squad, and we have that. In terms of Ramsey, here's the, here's what I'd say about Ramsey. As a as a four game start, we feel very average. Within that is the devils in the detail. We had a really good first half against Crystal Palace. We had periods against Liverpool or attacking movements against Liverpool where we were really good. And we had 15 minutes at the start in Newcastle where we played really good football. And Ramsey was every bit a part of that. Um, off, the ball, or off the ball, he works really hard. He's part of our pressing game. Against a physical side like Newcastle, sure, you want to have uh, bruisers like Alex Song going around kicking people in the ankle. But if you're not going to do that, you need at least people who can f match them physically in terms of energy and pressing, etc. And there's a reason we stood up to Newcastle and played our football. And part of that reason is Ramsey. So I, I, I understand why the manager would want to pick him. I think I pretty much keep picking him. I think... The work he does, combining with Ozil, Sanchez, uh, the one-twos, all that kind of stuff, kind of, you know, he's just one of a of a blur. I think mm -hmm. he's been a real part of our best play, and he was a really good part of one or two of those really good movements at the start of that uh, Newcastle game. So I'm not too concerned on Ramsey. I don't, I wouldn't bill him as out of form or not playing well. I think he's he's very much. All boats rise and fall with the tide, and as Arsenal are doing better, we'll feel better about him. I think he's doing fine. Yeah, okay. I mean, I obviously, I think Ramsey is a fantastic player who adds a lot to the side. I just, I don't know. Watching him yesterday, I, I think maybe this playing on the right thing has gotten to him. I think he doesn't look as effective when he has Walcott in front of him if he's playing in midfield, and it just all isn't clicking right now. I mean, James, you alluded to it with using players in the way that's most effective. I don't think Sanchez is a left winger. Ramsey isn't a right winger. I don't think Theo Walcott is a center forward. I don't know that Santi Cazorla is a central midfielder, although he's adopted that position. I Olivier Giroud is not a striker, um, but that's another issue. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't, I just don't know. It's, it's a lot of square pegs and a lot of holes. Um, I did send you guys a link in our chat to Olivier Giroud missing one of his three great chances against Newcastle, and it is my favorite of the three. He's put in completely free, um, completely free on the right channel, inside the box, totally unmarked, on his left foot. All he has to do is pass it into the far corner, and he kind of does this weird, gets his feet tied up, tries to chip the keeper, and gets it about three feet in the air right into his arm. It's it's depressing. Um, James, you want to respond really quickly to, and really, really quickly to my claim that nobody's being played in the right place? Yeah, I mean... It's true. Sorry, so do you want to just agree with it and we can move on? No, so I'm sorry, but Sanchez quite equivocally... He's not a left winger, ever, that he, period. Isn't that he is exactly a left winger. His favorite no, position by far is out he's on not. the left. Absolutely. He loves cutting in... He plays it in a less traditional role. Can I respond to that? He's not. Looking for. I, I appreciate it. I, 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 know, I know your stance on the matter. Um, also, Santi Cazorla. <laughs> to be fair, he was all over the pitch yesterday. So He was fantastic he yesterday because he he abandoned the left wing and just did what he's better at. I mean, for Chile, he's a support striker. For Barcelona, he played on the right. And Udinese, he was a support striker. He's never a left winger. Never. No, no. Well, he actually played on he played on the left quite a lot actually for for Barcelona. I believe. But the listen the the thing is, 
we I think we get a little caught up on this idea of traditional wingers. Like, there's always a massive call for Alex to be played instead of Ramsey on the right because he like he, he's more capable of hugging the touch side and like beating players down the right and swinging the ball in. And that's not really ne- that's that's not necessarily the traditional winger these days. That's not like the modern day winger. I mean, Messi and Ronaldo, by all intents and purposes, play out wide, but they don't play like wingers at all. Top level players like Hazard. He plays at the ten, but sometimes when he's very effective, he, he he's a player that is is played out on the, out wide. I think Pedro. But, but you have to play. Is, is, is another example of that. I he, think everybody wants sentences... to play through the middle at Arsenal. It doesn't make any sense. Look at the Liverpool game. They had Dejan Lovren and a nineteen-year-old left player. back, and nobody attacked up the right wing. It's insanity. Like at it's some point, you insanity. have to attack the weakness of your opponent, and we refuse. We steadfastly refuse to attack the weakness of our opponent. We play it, our it, game. We do it our way everybody funnels down the middle and that's how arsenal play and and you talk about the fact that teams can park the bus and be successful doing it it's because we don't vary our play according to what we're going to face and that is more than anything for me the infuriating part if we're not going to bring a player in in the window change the way we play find unique and new ways to solve the problem because we solve the problem one way or not at all sure i i do Uh, get that and i i I think listen, I do I do think that holds a lot of credence, but I think you know I think a lot of that perception is built off off this four game window. We were playing the same formation that won us an FA Cup. Like we won an FA Cup not very long ago. Within our last six games, some of the results have included beating Chelsea in a Community Shield game, which I can appreciate is is still a preseason fixture coated up in some sort of like um, sort of fakeish competition, and we won an FA Cup final. And we went on a very good run from January playing that for me. I honestly, and also I don't know how you can say Kazula is in the centre midfield. I think he, right, he, he, he can play centre. I mean, he's not a deep. He, I think he, I think he exactly is that. I, I okay. genuinely believe that. Um, I think you know his two-footedness, the, the way he, he can move both sides, his distribution from the back. I appreciate he's not as, he's not necessarily the perfect centre mid. But I think no, he, we've turned he, him into an effective center mid, which is fine. I'm, I, I, that, I mean, I think you've taken each individual point I've made and taken exception to it when the point I'm trying to make is a larger point, which is we are jamming a lot of pegs into holes. That's how babies are made, by the way, that don't necessarily fit it right. And, and then we play the same system routinely and i know this is a big debate people say oh we change our tactics look at look how we played against city last year we soaked up pressure okay we can soak up pressure i acknowledge that we don't play the same way every single game but by and large i don't see us attacking the weakness of our opposition in the liverpool game you just look at it i mean lovren and 19 year old on the left side of their defense and we played ramsey down the right who didn't stay you know who who played more on the left what he scored, he a, goal scored on, a goal coming down the left side of the pitch. So what? I get fine, so Paul. He, he starts point, on the right. But at the, end of the, day, but the point, the reason he starts that. on the right is so that he can swing over and work with Ozil and Sanchez. He's done it three games I don't in a row. Have a problem it wasn't with an, that. It was not an accident. He scored a goal from the left. I don't That's have a problem with that. But be doing. You, you know, why are we always trying to ice skate uphill? Like. Their weakest point is that left side of their defense, and we made no effort to go after it whatsoever. I'm not, you know, and again, I'm not saying we were terrible or boo-hoo, we're suck. We're we're a good team, but like, to me, I, you know, I look at a game like that and I say, 
Lovren is a disaster. Look what West Ham did to Lovren. Look what they did to the left side of their defense. And we have much better players, but we never created that challenge for them. And, you know, it's it's hard because when you criticize, people take the, posi- the position that you only think bad things, that your entire p- opinion is bad. That's not it. My opinion is not that we're bad. My opinion is I want us to win a title. So to win a title, you have to go up another level. We need to re- we need to recover 12 points from last season. We're not going to do it by buying players, so we have to do it some other way. And that other way is maybe using your assets in a different way, maybe tactically approaching games differently. And I guess through four games, I just don't see evidence of that happening. I think we need additional players, but in the absence the first of that, half through Crystal Palace, the evidence is there. The 15 minutes against Newcastle before they parked the bus, the evidence is there. Okay. The, the period after that where they parked the bus, go and look at City playing Watford. They looked awful. I know. The, second, they go. the second half of Liverpool was a, was a perfect example of that. And I think, I was on the pod, but I do think a lot of that first half performance wasn't necessarily down to this formation. I mean, we were shocking in the back right, but a lot of that was, I think we were highly destabilized by... By the Chambers, Gabriel. Chambers I, I don't disagree with it. And, and Adrian Clark purred about our performance in the first half till about 25 minutes. And then the, the sins of that bottom right-hand corner, which has nothing to do with... The, us attacking Lovren or whoever on the, their other end. It has everything to do with the fact that Chambers, Bellerin, and Cazorla gave away about six or seven passes in a row and completely disrupted our play for the rest of that half. And in the second half, we looked really good. Liverpool got, in reality, Liverpool were so fucking lucky when they got back on their bus and their plane to get home because the form we were in when we were playing well before we started fucking up in that bottom right hand corner. The goal we scored. We scored the first goal. We had them where we wanted them. We did a lot right. So, yes, you can tactic yourself to death. We all know Arson isn't going to try and change the way we play particularly. His emphasis will be us playing well, which worked at the start of the Newcastle game and worked at the start of the Liverpool game, as opposed to trying to be oh so clever with tactics and moving players to new positions and playing different ways. He would prefer to have the players playing to their best as he sees it, cohesively, than be changing how we play just because we see a weakness on the other side. Let's outplay the bastards. I, I mean, and, I don't think you can do that. I just, I fundamentally veto the assertion that you can outplay your opponents in modern football. I don't think you can. And I think as more and more talent pours into the Premier League, you'll be less and less able to. Swansea outplayed Manchester United today, the day we're recording this podcast. They outplayed them and they beat them and they deserve to beat them. But part of the reason they beat them is they were effective in counter in counterbalancing what Manchester United are weak at and going after them where they're weak. And I just think, you know, they didn't actually outplay Manchester United. They out-tacticed them. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Whereas but, Arsenal would have outplayed them. Well, but that's the thing, Paul. I don't <laughs> I don't see the evidence of being able to go through a 38-game season saying we're just going to outplay our opponents enough to win a title. I, I don't see I don't see that. And certainly not when, Nor would you see the, the nor, the, nor would you see any team who can out-tactic the other teams for 38 Well, you games. could argue that's what Jose Mourinho's sides do. They, 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 he's a yeah, after he spends $400 million buying players. So. Well, I, I don't disagree. Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to say Chelsea are an example of you know, tactics over, over spending. I, look, 
we can go around an argument. James, I'll let you get the last word in here real quick. I, I just think... Can I just quickly yeah. say, City pretty much plays the way they want to play. They did it all last season. They did it all this season. They try and play good football. They don't over-tactic it. They try and outplay their guys. They also happen to have $400 million worth of players on there. So you have you have Chelsea and you have City. They have one's highly tactic-y. The other is let's outplay the bastards. It's horses for courses, depending on the philosophy of your club. We're not overly tactic-y. That's just a fact. Okay. And and I would argue that the way we're using our assets right now is potentially suboptimal. And I don't know that we have the talent to just go outplay enough teams to win a title. I think we can be very good. I think on our day, we can be very tough. I think we can maybe win a domestic cup and certainly be in the top four. That's not our ambition. That's all. That's all I'm saying. James, fin- finish this off because I've completely come unglued here. Um, but just very quickly, I just think you're a little too worked up on this. I think a lot of people are on this on this traditional winger point. I think the most important thing is you play your best 11 players in a system that is... This isn't a new system that he's trying to cobble together like he did with the 4-1-4-1. Now, this is, this is a tried and tested system that has proven over the course of a decent amount of time last season that it does work and can work. Our biggest aberration of a performance this season, hands down, was West Ham, and we had a traditional quote-unquote, right-winger and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, but that wasn't the reason we were shit. Like, the reason we're poor doesn't have to be down to the fact that we're not, that we're not playing this, like, these, these like, classic right-wingers and the, 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 the tactics we're implanted to specifically target the left-back at, at, against Liverpool. Like, this, I don't think that that was necessarily the reason why we, we're doing poorly, and I do think, honestly, that it is a slight fallacy that, you know, you can't, you can't just... You, you threw... Getting the best out of your team, you can't you can't outplay an opposition. That, that seems to be the the suggestion. I, Arsene has done it throughout his career, and I think the suggestion there was that in modern day football, you can no, that that no longer works. I think I, I think I think that's rubbish, honestly. I, I, I think that is off the base of the fact that we haven't played very well over the last couple of games. You know, th- this tactic doesn't work. We- we've heard it so much. Two about, like, newly promoted is. sides destroyed West Ham on the flanks. We never challenged them there. Our issue with West Ham had but nothing we, we to had do with... Traditional... James, can I add there? Our issue with West Ham had nothing to do with uh, tactics or blah, blah, blah. They came in after six games of 90 minutes over the summer and were at uh, normal... Premier League intensity, and we were still three quarters of the way out of working our way out of preseason. Then what happened and to them against two newly promoted sides in consecutive matches after that? One week later, the, everyone the had caught up to them. The people were blooded at a full tempo Premier League game by the time West Ham came around to play them. I mean, if it was we played, we stuff them. We all fundamentally so, uh, disagree here. The fa- the fact is, I see it. The lack of intensity was. The lack of intensity was was inexcusable though, that first game. I don't I don't disagree with that, but it wasn't because we weren't like successfully utilizing our wide players in gaps that they left for us. We were shit, like we were just shit that day. We had we had players that could util- that could have taken advantage in theory of open spaces out on the wide. Alex Oxley Chamberlain, the one player that everyone seems to refer to in that regard, played that game and he played poorly. We all well, the team played poorly. I don't think it's a great example of of the use of the fact that like that we didn't use like tactics correctly. We just we as a team, whatever whoever was playing that day, we, we could have changed the lineup. There was something fundamentally wrong about our mentality and I'm still 
I am still fuming about that game, so I don't understand how you go into the beginning of a season where you're touted as title challenge, uh, challenger material, and you go out and you put a, a performance like that, because it was completely unacceptable. That being don't said... Play, don't play a team that's had six 90 minutes. Yeah, sure, but uh, we, we should still be better than them. I, I get that as an excuse, but I don't think it's a good enough excuse. We were um, better than them before we conceded the stupid goal at the back. We were, which is an excuse. We were getting on top around... Tw- uh, 25 to 40 minutes, you go and watch that game. Uh, Elliot said the same thing when he was making his notes on the game. We were coming into our own at that point, and we, that stupid feckin' goal where the cross comes in between Czech and Purr, you know, call it what, what you will. Um, the second goal was a stupid bloody goal, and we just didn't have this intensity to get back to them from that. We looked really bad in the second half, but we were we playing against a team that had the legs and had the intensity and was up to full speed. That's fair enough, but you, either way, first game of the season, you don't make those two mistakes that we did. That's what cost us the game, and our passing for the entire first half an hour or for, was shocking. The amount of misplot, but any, listen, we, we've talked about West Ham. People can, you can go to the previous episode if you as a listener are interested in hearing our thoughts on the West Ham. I don't recommend I, you know, <laughs> it's uh, I, I just I, it's just going back to the idea that I don't think necessarily the the, the lack of of strong performances is down to this idea of of the way in which we're playing this uh, four three three or four two three one or whatever people want to refer to. The I don't think that's as, always as it, randomly. James. Uh, that's not my point. I'm not saying that's always it. But I'm I saying there are examples of what it. I'm saying. I, I think we can be successful with it, and I think. It's it's a little it's a little similar to me this idea of you know the talk that you can't the point it seems to me that you made was that you can't outperform um, teams these days in modern day football it, that that to me sounds very much like the kind of nonsense excuse people would, would talk about Arsenal being like out of touch with modern day football because frankly we just didn't listen. That will, we could go into a harder discussion. The man who revolutionized the sport and has always been ahead of the game, is, you, is, I'm now being told, is, is, yes. is behind. Yes, he, he revolutionized the sport in terms of physical preparation, in terms of understanding the transfer market, in terms of attacking one-touch stylish football. And I think he is the greatest manager in the history of the club. Some people would argue that. I think he is one of the greatest modern managers of all time. I think he built Arsenal into a super club. All of those things are fact. The other thing that I believe is that his approach is still excellent. I don't know if he is tactically flexible enough to win a title. I love him to be. We don't have to get into that debate. We will find out over the course of this season and next season until he decides to retire. And I hope he wins not just one, not just two, but three, four, five more titles. Nothing would make me happier. My point wasn't that you can't beat teams by outplaying them. My point is you can't just outplay your opposition for 38 games and win a title that way anymore, I don't think. I don't think you can do that. And I think with the money moving into the Premier League and mid-table teams now signing really, really top-flight talent, I think it's getting even harder. There are no secrets. When Arsene Wenger came into the league, there were players no one knew about. That doesn't exist anymore. You've got guys on Twitter who know who who know players from the French second division. There are no hidden gems anymore. And it's just all become much closer, much tighter. I'm not saying there's parity in the Premier League because there clearly is not. But 
I think anyone can come, you know, you you used to watch Premier League 10, 12 years ago and you'd hear stats like, oh, Wigan going to Manchester United. They've never beaten Manchester United at Old Trafford in the history of of football. You, You don't hear stats like that anymore. Teams beat each other routinely. I mean, look at Swansea. They beat United every single time they play now. Um, but 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 let, look, let's move on. Here's what I hope. I just hope that we get we get the mix right. I mean, it's things like using Ramsey without Ramsey in center midfield without Giroud, who who is clearly the the better partner for him for those runs he likes to make. I, I do question whether we're getting the most out of Alexis. I think you have to at least utilize wide spaces against teams that are weak in the wide defensive spaces. But we could go around and around in a circle like that. Let's finish off. I, I had intended to get to Champions League, but we have plenty of time to discuss it, so we don't need to do it now um, because the draw was made since our last podcast, and of course we got Bayern Munich, which gives us a chance to finish second and then crash out to Barcelona. But let's talk about transfer market real quickly. The window's going to shut. We're not going to get anyone. Um, at least that's my opinion. I want to hear it from each of you. James, any expectation that we get anyone now? And if we don't, is it a dereliction of duty to have only signed a goalkeeper this season? Um, my confidence is fading. That is for sure. Uh, it's, I mean, it, more time in the past. I mean, it, it clearly is a tough market to get involved with. Um, but you know, it, I I can't call. I think I think a I think they're far more competent at dealing with transfers than people give them credit for, and I think they're certainly doing everything that they can. I think they're very, as Arsene would refer to it, as like active in the market. Um, but I think it's it, it. I actually think it's pretty much out of our hands as to whether a player that we want becomes available. Um, with regards to the signing of one player, yes, one player has been signed. I do think it's an important qualification because I think it's a pretty dreadfully miserable stick to to beat the the board and and the manager with this idea that since last season the only change that has been made and the only way we're going to accrue the twelve point deficit is through. Has been the signing of Czech. Actually, no, we signed Gabriel in January. We've already had to use him in a couple of games this season. Um, we signed like Coquelin broke through midway through the season. Um, so like the actual amount of points we would have accrued in the first half of the season may have been a little higher if you have the current Coquelin you have in that team. Hector Bellerin came and forced that first choice right back to second choice right back. Callum Chambers no longer no longer has to play at right back. So the team actually dynamically and systematically is, is different. You know, not just the, the amount you expect players to maybe improve over the course, over sort of the next season. Um, there are actually like a couple of other players that I think, you know, people tend to sort of brush over that fact. I'm not denying the fact that I think we definitely need a top striker and ideally a, a defensive midfielder that that allows Ramsey to, to play to the best of his abilities. Um, and I am starting to think that without those, we probably... We'll probably end up coming around around third, and we, you know, we probably won't we, because of the, just how good City look. That we maybe we'll we'll be up and uh, up and around there, um, but it's it's going to be a tough ask to to keep up with them for the entirety of the season. But as squad depth, one thing that's being forgotten in all of this is a lot of teams currently are playing their best eleven. In a couple of weeks, when you have all your Champions League and all the Premier League games coming thick and fast, you've got your League Cup and you've got your FA Cup. Squads really come into play. Like we're not really seeing because it's so early on in the season. I mean, we already made it. You know, several changes in the game. But these mid-table clubs, all these clubs, like they're going to be tested when they have to play their second-choice player in, in in certain positions, and when some players get injured for a while. And 
I think one of the reasons why we're very optimistic about this side is any injury that takes place, you know, in theory, as long as we don't go on one of those sort of Arsenal-esque injury runs, we have pretty equivalent players that come in like pretty you know we, it's hard for us sometimes to pick the first 11 because there's there's a lot of players that can play there's um, no I question we have depth you you still need to have that exceptional quality i I, I agree which is why i think you know if we can't get it then my my belief in us being able to challenge the title is waning i, I don't think it's impossible i think we still got a lot of good ingredients that are, are, are kind of being um, that aren't really being discussed, just which is somewhat understandable given the first four games that we've seen. But if we want, if we really want to push for the title, we need a top striker. And I just, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's anything that the club can do that they're not doing that will improve their chance of getting one. In my eyes, I mean, okay. we don't know the details, obviously, but I, I, I genuinely believe that maybe it's a blind faith in us and. I, I think over the years that he's proved that he does know what he's doing. I think he I think he's well on top of modern football, um, and I you know I'm, I, I have faith in I have faith in the setup. I just don't have faith in the market. Yeah, I mean I, I hope I hope that we win the league. I you know obviously the thing that sucks about the way Twitter works and the way a lot of these interactions work is if you're critical, then you hate Arsenal and you're an asshole, and you don't know anything, and you should just crawl in a hole and die. And if you are a Pollyanna who says everything's wonderful, then you're a super supporter, and you deserve to be pat on the back. Like, to me, you know, if, if you're 12 points behind the champions, and you haven't legitimately competed for a title in years, and you feel like you got a squad that's shaping up to get closer, and you have 200 million pounds sitting in the bank, it's your job to go find the players that'll get you there. And if you don't get there, you didn't do your job because Arsenal's job is to win the title or at least, at least challenge for the title, genuinely challenge, be in the hunt. I acknowledge that we don't have the resources that City and Chelsea do. And I acknowledge that even if we had them, no one's guaranteed a title, but Arsenal football club should be challenging for a title. And I don't go ahead. Like look at United. I think it's a perfect example. They're a club with a lot more. Exactly. Exactly. United's a perfect example. They're they're and dysfunctional. They, they, can't find anyone. they have a terrible they, manager, and they've bought poorly. I'm not saying we and should do that. they can't find anyone. But, but they, and, and they can't find a striker. They they have a, probably an even bigger issue than we do at centre forward, and they can't find like they have more money to, to spare than we do. It's not it's not just us that is struggling in this market. Everyone is struggling to buy players in this market. But again, even the, know, the problem have, is James. James, I don't care. Let me let me be clear about something. I don't care what the excuse is. I don't. The job of the club is to get what they need to win a title. And if they don't do it, they failed. It's that simple. This isn't show friends. It's show business. Get the players how, how in you and fail? win a title. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not, I, how can you, I'm not how can you fail? Arsenal. I'm an Arsenal supporter. My job is to say, when it, it, you know what? Let's move on. Paul, I mean. It, it, okay, well, let me just quickly ask you this. Very quickly. No, James, 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 breathe. So Listen, uh, I can make a couple of would points with Elliot by saying I James breathe for a second. I, I'd like to make a, po- a couple of points with Elliot. Go I agree it. with everything you said. I think you're spot on. I think in terms of the market, um, the idea that there's nobody out there. Maybe we can't get a world class or a top class striker, but maybe we get a top class talent. So we've got a few days to go. My optimism is dropping rapidly, but th- there are. 20 teams in five top leagues, just looking at across the 
the uh, the horizon that with 25 players that's I don't know how many players that is it might be a thousand players out there. there there's somebody out there who can improve us in midfield and attacking they might be 22 year old instead of 27 year old they might be just a supporting act but they could do something really important for us there's somebody out there who can help this squad be, be on check, and I think it's incumbent on the manager to do that. And then to your point, Elliot, in terms of uh, you know being viewed as negative when you criticize or raise questions, the, the reason I, w I want to do a pod that you're on rather than maybe somebody who's even closer in opinion to myself and James is because I know I'm not right all the time. I know the I know I'm that never right, so it's fine, Thank you. fine with me. <laughs> and the, the manager has a particular philosophy. I think it's really hard when when you're wired to see things differently because there isn't just one way. You know, Mourinho is a great manager. Arson's a great manager. Pellegrini, Pep, they all have di they're all wired differently. They all see that it should be done a certain way and they feel very strongly that's the best way to do it and if you're a supporter who happens to be wired a little bit differently to your manager it's got to be really frustrating seeing him doing things time and time again that your instincts tell you are insanity because you've made mistake you, you you're getting a certain result and that is always a trap for anybody who supports a manager who has a particular philosophy you know, if I had a really tactical manager, it'd probably drive me nuts. Because, or you know, God forbid, you're a Chelsea supporter and you want to see a particular type of football, and Mourinho's your manager. It doesn't make supporters wrong. It just means here we are debating out things where we're kind of we see things differently, we're wired differently, and our manager is wired similarly or differently in terms of philosophy, or we're wired differently in terms of how much we like to toe, toe the line versus how much we uh, are comfortable challenging outside. So it's all of those things. That, yeah, and I'll be the first to admit all, yeah. that I will throw my toys out of the pram when I get upset because I'm emotional and that's it. It's not because I don't love the club. It's because I care about it so much that it makes me really upset when the club acts in a way or fails to act in a way that I think – it needs to. And the one thing that I don't feel, I don't feel the burden of saying, here's the player they should have bought. I don't feel the burden of solving that problem. If a surgeon screws up yeah. surgery, I don't feel the burden of saying, well, here's how I would have done the surgery. You know, if a pilot crashes a plane, I don't feel the burden of saying, here's how I would have flown the plane. You know, I, and those may not be the right analogies, but ultimately I think- It's incumbent on the manager to come up with the answers. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can say it any way you like, but the reason Arsene Wenger gets paid eight million pounds a year is because he is phenomenal at what he does. He has been phenomenal over a very long stretch of time, but with that, with that wage, that salary, with that position, comes tremendous responsibility. Responsibility that James doesn't have, Paul doesn't have, I don't have, supporters don't have. It falls squarely on Ivan Gazidis, on uh, Arsene Wenger, on Stan Kroenke, and ultimately maybe we don't buy anyone and maybe we win the title. And then I can sit here and say, once again, they all knew best. They believed in the talent they had and the system they had, and it got them there, or at least got us a challenge. And that would be wonderful. I I don't see how that is a sensible response to all your rivals spending and, you know, all your rivals going out and strengthening 
to the extent that they have now. And, and Arson said it himself. He, he talked about you know us improving, but then he says, "But I haven't seen yet what our competitors will do. They will move on even further." Well, they did. They so did. to believe that in the top five leagues with twenty teams with squads, he's not averse to looking into League de or League trois yeah. or League League vingt. <laughs> so there, there's. There's 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 a thousand players out there. Surely he can come up with check plus one other to make us stronger yeah, somewhere. I, I, I would have loved to. I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I, I, I actually do agree with every. With, sorry, I, can I, before you? Yeah. Okay. Before you say that, just on that topic, I do agree with a lot of what you say, and I I know that I do come across as like whatever Arson does, like he he can do no. I I genuinely I am not. I don't, I'm I'm not. I honestly am not inclined that way. And I do agree in, in the broad scheme of things that there is a failure because we need a striker, we need a top-class striker, and ideally we need a, a second-choice, different-style defensive midfielder. When I, but what I mean is I think people are a little too... I agree that it is a failure in, so, in some regard. It, like, it, 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 like we, we haven't been able to get what we need. But what, what I'm really saying is does another manager under the exact same scenario and context currently managing this side, is he able to solve that, that issue? And I, I don't think anyone else is better placed necessarily to be able to do that because I just... But, but I don't think about... we're talking about changing managers. No, I'm, I'm definitely just, not. No, By I'm the way, just... I'm not... I wouldn't want to... I'm not saying I, it at all. Exactly, yeah. No, I know, but I, I know it's, you're it's not. A but fair, I'm just saying, it's a fair say, question. I don't know if it's a fair criticism, but it's a fair question. You know, it, in the whole... Universe of players, we can only find check to you know. I, I I'm one who spends ninety percent of my time saying we shouldn't buy this player and that player and the other player. And Arson's doing everything he's can he can, but I can't get away from if we just sign check. That was the only player that could make us stronger in the fucking universe that would be sold to us. And the biggest thing that's changed financially, and we should we should end this, but the biggest thing that's changed financially is we are now in a position financially where we can actually get it wrong. You know, five years ago, we couldn't afford to get it wrong. Today, we can. The TV money being what it is and the Emirates money being what it is, we can afford to take a stab and get it wrong. Um, and so maybe you do weigh 60 million pounds in front of a club and see if they flinch. I think, you know, and I, I don't want to go any further than this, but I do think Arsene Wenger, if he has one limitation in the transfer market, it's that he's very, very disciplined when it comes to what he believes is fair market value for a player. And that has served us well, but I think we've kind of lifted off or blasted out of that stratosphere. And you kind of have to be willing to stretch your your ideals about value to get the player you want in this market these days. And in the past, we couldn't afford to get that wrong, and I think we can now. Ultimately, let's wrap it up. I do want to announce that James and I have another bet. We did make a bet um, over WhatsApp the other day, a $50 bet. I said I thought we'd finish fourth. James thinks we'll finish above that. I did make a two-to-one bet with him on $25 that we would finish fifth. Now, I want to be clear about something. I don't think we'll finish fifth. I'm just taking two-to-one odds there. Um, I I would like to believe we'll finish above fourth, but I I think – Without a signing, and it doesn't look like we're going to get one, I've been very clear on this for a long time. I think we need more goals to really move up the table and consistently stay there. Last season, we got a big lift during our our run when Giroud had a very purple patch of goal scoring. Um, 
unless he can rediscover that and get back to that kind of conversion rate and that form in front of goal, I, ju- I just think we're going to struggle. And you know, that's saying nothing about Alexis getting back to the form he was at the beginning of last season. I want a piece of your bet. Yeah, what, you've got the money. What do, what do you want? You want? I mean, you're in. I'll take both. Okay. You'll, well, I mean, and again, you can have them both. I just or, want to be clear. I don't think amount. I'll we're do it for finish. It's a matter fifth. of principle. I'll, I'll do it for ten dollars on both of them bets, okay. the fourth place and the fifth place. I'll tell you what. We'll do it fifty dollars to the charity of both your choosing or my choosing, depending on who wins. Yeah. Screw um, off. I'm keeping the money. Okay. Well, the charity. <laughs> the charity can be the the pausing in my pants fund. That's fine. It is. Um, but, guys, you know, I, statistically speaking, Elliot, there's um. No, I do want to make the point clear. I know you don't think we will finish fifth, but your implication is that you think there's a greater than 25% chance of us finishing fifth. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, what you haven't taken into account is the fact that I don't understand math. So you should have thought <laughs> so, of that okay, but, I want to bet $110 in that case. I'll put it this way. I think that there's a statistically greater chance that we'll finish fifth than second or first. No, boo. Anyway. Okay. Let's wrap up. Um, yeah, let's wrap I, up. I, also, I, I, I struggle to believe that you are betting against a manager who, if there's one thing you can pretty much guarantee from, is finishing fourth. Yeah. But you know, whether you Ballsy. don't, whether you think, Ballsy. whether you think that we will, I don't we, think we will. I think we'll finish fourth. Though, you, you've still, you've still bet against it. So I mean, but anyway, I. That being said, um, we we probably uh, this podcast has has gone on for for quite a while. An eternity. I, it's just Wrap a bunch of people yelling at each other. <laughs> the, I'm, I'm finally, I, I, I'm, I'm wrapping up in one, one very quick point. I, one thing I think, in all, in, in all the sort of chatter of, you know, of all the 2,000 players among all the leagues, like maybe there must be someone. Given the quantity of players, we're, we're not lacking a number of players. Like we, when we talk about lack of strikers, we do have, we technically do have a Giroud and a Welbeck and, and a Postman. Like numbers-wise, we're fine. So actually bringing in a player that doesn't improve upon a current position we have is not only of no use, it's actually in some way, and Arsene does talk about it, it can become somewhat of a hindrance because then you have too many people who don't believe that they have enough of an opportunity of playing football and it creates a little bit of issue internally within the team. So I don't think it's as easy as saying there must be someone who has a lot of potential or that can just like that has the ability to perhaps, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that maybe he'll come good, maybe he won't, and we can afford to just to let that drop. I mean, you look at, again, I use United as an example. I don't know if their signings over the course of these two seasons thus far have demonstrated that it is easy and they've got a ton of money, and it doesn't always necessarily work out well. So I think not only can it not, what I'm saying, it doesn't necessarily, it's not, a, like, it's not a, only it can only be a positive thing even if you bring a player and it fails because like, you don't really lose anything. I think you can lose something. Spending money so, always works. It always <laughs> works. It does. So, I mean, that's just my, that's my opinion. But I do don't Chelsea and City win the title every year because they spend the most. Spending money always works. On good players. Yeah, but it but it always works. On Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Manchester City, and and they can bring in those PSG. players and win the titles. Yeah, we should anyway. start doing that too. Um, okay, so. We'll leave it there. The good news is there's two weeks till our next podcast, and it'll take you about that long to listen to this one if you have the wherewithal to do so. Um, you know, I think what I need to do is have a long look at myself in the mirror and realize that I don't need to be uh, uh, going off on one as part of my role on this podcast. So I apologize for doing that because I had a really nice running order, and somewhere at about 80% of it, it's just a bunch of me hammering exclamation points on the keyboard. Um, 
<laughs> As always, though, it's a real pleasure to speak to you. Again, a happy birthday to you, James. And obviously, if there's any bet that I hope I lose, I hope it's the bet that we've just made. I, I genuinely believed going into this season that we could win the title. And a lot of that was based on the fact that I thought we'd get a striker. So we'll see what happens. Um, in the meantime, if anything happens over the transfer window closing, maybe we'll come back on and do a short two and a half hour podcast on it. Um, in the event that that doesn't happen, we'll just come back uh, after the interlull. I'm going to blame uh, sleepless nights from a new baby as my reason for this performance and acting like a new baby. Um, so please send all of your abuse on Twitter to Arse2Mouse. Um, okay. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. As always, you can find James at GoonerFanatic49. You can find Paul at Posin in My Pants. James, uh, despite all evidence to the contrary, it was a pleasure. Cheers, guys. It, it was very fun. Yeah, absolutely. And Paul, uh, I appreciate you writing wrap it up with exclamation points 72 times in our little side chat here. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good stuff. Hey, um, could you please leave us a review, not necessarily on the basis of this podcast, but find one that we did well and then leave us a review based on that. Until next time, uh, enjoy your horrifyingly boring interlull. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.